Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. I want to thank everybody for being here, and I know there's a, a, a hearing uh, after this that uh, Rubio will, ch will chair. What? Um, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I know. Well, it scares us, too, but... but uh, so. so I'm going to go ahead and see if Senator Menendez has any comments, and then I'll go through the list of people that we may confirm. So Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I look forward to the hearing Senator Rubio and Senator Cardin are going to host. Uh, there are a number of nominees on the agenda today, and I support all of them, but before I say anything further on the nominations, I'd like to briefly raise the administration's potential proposed rescissions, which I understand would target two to four billion dollars of unappropriated funds largely for the State Department and USAID. I think most of our members know by now that you and I have both weighed in with the Secretary, and I believe it's critically important we remain united, that the whole Congress be united on this, because this isn't just a foreign assistance issue. By seeking to rescind funds this close to the end of the fiscal year, the administration would be flouting the law and undermining Congress's constitutional power of the purse. The top-line appropriation numbers were a compromise between Leader Schumer and McConnell, and President Trump signed the appropriations bill into law. By trying to undo appropriations without congressional input, the administration is using a nuclear option to attack Congress's status as a co-equal branch of government. I certainly hope cooler heads prevail. They'll pull back from a reckless course of action. If not, speaking for myself, I'm prepared to respond with all the options at my disposal. Um, in particular, let me just turn to the nominations now. I want to mention how pleased I am that the veteran career State Department nominees are before us today. All have served our country dutifully and admirably in some of the most difficult posts across the globe. In particular, I want to highlight the nomination of Ambassador David Hale to be Undersecretary for Political Affairs. It's an immensely challenging post, but few diplomats have served our nation as ably and honorably as Ambassador Hale. And I have confidence that Ambassador Hale will rise to the challenge, and I do expect that he will be responsive to this committee in his new post. I also want to call attention to the Office of the Ambassador at Large to monitor and combat trafficking, to which Mr. John Richmond has been nominated. This is an important job, uh, one that both the Chairman and I, many members of this committee, are concerned about that, uh, the, the work there. It's an estimated 40 million victims of human trafficking around the world. We've also seen in the past years how a lack of leadership at the TIP office can lead to an erosion of the TIP report's power to persuade countries to join us in the fight against trafficking. But given his background as a former special litigation counsel, with the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice and a founding member of the Human Trafficking Prosecution Unit. I'm confident Mr. Richmond has the expertise, knowledge, and commitment necessary to lead the TIP office. We wish him well. We'll be watching his performance closely, and we support all the rest of the nominees, Mr. Chairman. Thank you so much. I know that people are here, and I know they have other business, and I want to thank all of you, a very responsible group of people who serve on this committee, and I thank you for that. I'm going to read out the list of people that are on the agenda. What I would hope might happen is us pass them out by voice, but if people want to um, show that they don't support the nominee, we can do so um, after the fact if that's okay. We'll do, of course, whatever the committee wishes. These are the nominees, the, Senator, the Honorable Michael Hammer to be Ambassador to the Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, Mr. John Cotton Richmond to be Director of the Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking, the Honorable Stephanie Sullivan to be Ambassador to Ghana, Doc, Mr. Donald Tapia to be Ambassador to Jamaica, the Honorable David Hale to be Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, 
Mr. Derek Hogan to be ambassador to Moldova, Mr. Philip Koznet to be ambassador to Kosovo, Ms. Judy Rising Renke to be ambassador to Montenegro. Is there a motion to favorably, to report favorably these nominations and the FSO list unblocked by voice vote? So moved. Second. So moved and seconded. Questions on the motion to report favorably the FSO list and the nominations. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? With that, the ayes have it. The nominations and the FSO list are agreed to. Would anyone like to be recorded as a no on any of the nominees? Thank you all for your tremendous cooperation in this. That completes the committee's business. We will now in suspense wait for Chairman Rubio to begin his hearing. And uh, with that, uh, we, uh, we would like to, have, to allow the staff to make technical and informing changes without objection, so ordered. And with that, the committee is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. This is the uh, committee nominations hearing for the Honorable Kevin Sullivan of Ohio, a career member of the Servant Senior Foreign Service, class of minister counselor to be the ambassador uh, to the Republic of Nicaragua. Mr. Francisco Palmieri of Connecticut, a career member of Senior Foreign Service to be the ambassador to the Republic of Honduras. And Ms. Karen Williams of Missouri, a career member of the Senior Foreign Service to be the uh, ambassador to the Republic of Suriname. And I thank you for being here with us and for your continuing willingness to serve our, our country. If you're confirmed, each of you will have a critical role in advancing U.S. foreign policy and objectives in the respective posts abroad to which you've been nominated to. And your nominations, I would say, are timely. Nicaragua uh, is in the middle of a violent political crisis that I fear could even become a, a civil war and that I believe increasingly poses a threat to the national security interests of the United States and to regional security. The Ortega regime has already murdered hundreds of Nicaraguan citizens through the use of irregular paramilitary groups in its attempts to quell protests against the Ortega Murillo corrupt and oppressive regime. The situation in Nicaragua has all the necessary ingredients to spiral out of control and destabilize the region even further. And that includes a deteriorating economy, a government rotten with corruption and cronyism, a military divided between the government and the people, uh, paramilitary groups, as I said earlier, that swear, swear allegiance to Ortega, but whose chain of command is unclear, and citizens who want their voice to be heard, 
And Florida is home to a vibrant Nicaraguan-American community, and I've watched with great concern the repressive response by the Sandinista regime led by Ortega and his wife, the vice president, towards student demonstrators protesting corruption and demanding early elections. Cuba continues to align it, I'm sorry, Nicaragua continues to align itself with Cuba and Russia and Venezuela and international forums, often against the interests of the United States and other democracies. And we need a strong ambassador in Managua to give the people of Nicaragua a clear and consistent message that the United States stands with them and their demands and expectations for democracy, for respect for human rights, and for the rule of law. Honduras has its own set of challenges. Many of its citizens are having to choose between street violence and fleeing their country. One of the most effective answers to the migratory crisis uh, that our nation is facing on our southern border, perhaps the most effective, uh, it would be to work with the governments in Central America to improve the security situation so that their citizens do not feel like they have to leave these countries. Our foreign assistance can help in improving policing and training prosecutors and decreasing corruption and improving local economies, all of which give people a reason to stay where I believe they initially want to stay in their own country. In Honduras, what we need is a highly visible ambassador who stands for our ideals and who supports the Honduran government while also holding it accountable for creating an environment where everyday Hondurans feel safe and have access to jobs that allow them to feed for their families and provide for a better future and not have to flee their country. And lastly, Suriname has been a relatively stable democracy since the late 1990s with an economy mostly centered on natural resources extraction, especially gold and oil. Like many countries in the region, it has unfortunately been a source, transit, and destination for men, women, and children subject to sex trafficking and forced labor. Combating human trafficking is an issue of personal importance to me, as it is to most of the members of this committee, and we've made it a legislative priority of our work here during my time in the Senate and during many uh, of the careers of those on this uh, committee uh, to deal with this issue as a legislative priority. Many trafficked persons are used as forced labor in mining camps as well as in the agriculture and fishing industries. While the country continues to make good efforts, it does not fully comply with minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking. They are currently on the tier two watch list. I hope that if confirmed, our new ambassador will work with the government to improve their efforts to combat trafficking in all of its forms. Again, I thank each of you and your families for your willingness and your commitment to continue to serve our country. Our diplomats are some of the finest, if not, I would say, the finest in the entire world, and they are the building blocks of our efforts to defend freedom, security, and prosperity for ourselves and for our allies. And I now turn it over to the ranking member, Senator Cardin. Thank, thank you, uh, Chairman Rubio. I, I thank you for your leadership uh, on many issues, but particularly uh, on the Western Hemisphere. And uh, there, there are significant challenges that we have in our own region, and your leadership has been very, very important in that. And I first want to acknowledge uh, the three individuals who are before us, all who have devoted their life to public service. These are career diplomats, extremely difficult assignment. You chose early in your careers to, to serve our country and we are deeply grateful for that. The three posts that are being considered today are all challenging posts. These are not places that you would normally pick to, to, to um, spend your time recognizing the challenges in all three of these countries. So we thank you for your willingness to continue to serve, and we thank your families, because you can't do this without the support of your family. Uh, they also are, are sacrificing for our country. It was a... 
appropriate that the, this year's Summit of the Americas uh, topic was democratic governance against corruption. Because when I think about the three countries that are being considered for our representatives today, all three have challenges in good governance in fighting corruption. Uh, something that this committee has taken a leadership role on, and we look for you to use our presence in these countries, our mission, promoting American values, uh, as Chairman Rubio said, uh, including democracy, good governance, human rights, and rule of law. In Nicaragua, it is very challenging, no question about that. The corruption of Nicaraguan officials blatantly abusing the, their power against the people of their country has caused a circumstance that the Chairman Rubio indicates is close to a civil war. Human rights abuses, corruption, and impunity, these are issues that we all need to deal with. And I, I thank uh, Chairman Rubio and Chairman Menendez for their leadership on this issue uh, over the years, including their work in this Congress. In Honduras, I have seen firsthand, I have visited Honduras, I've seen firsthand the, the gang violence, the political instability, corruption and impunity, uh, and poverty. Uh, that played out in the 2017 elections. Uh, although there is now an elected leader, the question about the integrity of that election uh, lingers on. Um, the Anti-Corruption Commission needs to be supported and the support for it has been inconsistent, and we look forward to our commitment to making sure the people of Honduras have the support for honesty in their system. I do also want to mention the, Bert, uh, the Berta Caceres case. Uh, her daughter yesterday called for international observations at the trial. Uh, and I think we all are somewhat suspect as to how that case will proceed. Uh, we know there's an effort, but I think the U.S. involvement there is going to be particularly important. In Suriname, uh, as the chairman pointed out, they're on Tier 2 watch, but they were on Tier 3. Uh, it's a country that has challenges on trafficking of humans, of labor, uh, and on narcotics, uh, drug issues. I'd be interested in hearing how we can use the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative as it relates to Suriname to be able to have a more effective policy. I want to mention a couple issues in, in, in conclusion that affect all countries. The chairman mentioned about safety in the country so people want to stay there. I fully support that, and that's been our policy. We have a, been robust amount of foreign aid to try to improve the economics and security and governance, particularly in Central America. We have many individuals that are legally in this country under temporary protective status, particularly in Honduras and Nicaragua, in the state of Maryland and throughout our country. I look for leadership in those that are going to be uh, uh, chief of mission in these countries to give the best advice possible to the State Department for decisions made by Homeland Security on the extension of temporary protective status. Because we know today the circumstances in those two countries do not warrant the return of these individuals, even though this administration has revoked the temporary protective status. We're going to try in Congress to do something about that, but we need the help of those that are on the ground in the country working with the, the country as to the best way to handle those that are legally in this country today that sought refuge because of the instability in their country. We know about significant human rights violations. We recently passed uh, new tools under the Global Magnitsky to use against uh, human rights violators. It has been used in Central America. 
many of us believe it could be more effectively used, and we will need the help and advice uh, of those that are leading our missions as to who should be candidates for this type of sanction to improve the human rights and give hope to the, to the people of the country that, yes, the United States is paying attention to the human rights needs of their country. And last on migration, uh, today's report shows that we have problems on the Nicaragua-Costa Rica border uh, with violence coming about because of misinformation that was there. Migration causes problems. And in Venezuela, Mr. Chairman, the numbers will soon exceed Syria in the number of those that have been displaced as a result of the problems in Venezuela. The country that has had the greatest impact from that is Colombia. I mention that because Senator Roy Blunt and myself are co-chairing a task force to, to follow up on Colombia. Uh, clearly, Venezuela is very much, and the migration issues in that region are very much um, affecting the stability of the region. So, I very much welcome the three nominees that we have here. Your, your qualifications are well known. I think most of our questions are going to deal with the challenges that you're going to have in country, so you recognize that we can work together in order to deal with those challenges. Thank you. And I want to recognize the ranking member of the full committee who has a deep interest in the Western Hemisphere for some opening comments. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, for that opportunity. And let me uh, salute you and Senator Cardin for not only having this nomination hearing, but for the work you're collectively doing on the Western Hemisphere. And I appreciate uh, uh, Senator Cardin uh, is taking up a lot of the issues that are critical in the hemisphere and has been a strong champion of many things I care about as well as that independently to his global leadership on Magnitsky is pursuing in the Western Hemisphere. In, uh, and let me just say to all the nominees, I appreciate your long service to our country. I'm always thrilled when we see career uh, members of the Foreign Service be nominated for ambassadorships, uh, and these three countries are incredibly important. In a region that largely otherwise is committed to human rights and democracy, for four months, the international community has watched in horror as Daniel Ortega and Rosario Murillo have authorized their police and paramilitary groups to wield extreme force against their own citizens resulting in more than 450 deaths, hundreds in prison, and dozens forcibly disappeared. The administration has rightfully imposed global Magnitsky sanctions on three Nicaragua officials, but I believe stronger action is needed. That's why I introduced bipartisan legislation last month with Senator Rubio to increase targeted sanctions against Nicaraguan officials involved in human rights abuses and efforts to undermine democracy, and I'm pleased that Chairman Corker has agreed to consider our bill. Turning toward Honduras, in recent months, Americans have watched in horror as the Trump administration has adopted an inhumane policy of ripping children from their Honduran and Central American parents at the U.S. border. Moreover, former Secretary Tillerson's deliberate disregard of the expertise of career diplomats in his recommendation to end TPS for Honduras put at risk our national security and the safety of TPS beneficiaries and their U.S. citizen children. Uh, something that uh, I join uh, Senator Cardin in hoping that we can find a way uh, to turn the clock back. It is not in the national interest of the United States, or I think of its security, to send people back when our own career diplomatic people tell us that the situation on the ground is not conducive to so return to a large number of those nationals. Additionally, while President Hernandez has been an important U.S. security partner, 
we must support, support reform efforts to promote the rule of law and transparency and to confront impunity, notably, uh, as Senator Cardin said, for the 2016 murder of indigenous leader and environmental activist Berta Cáceres and the two dozen people killed in protests following last year's election. So I look forward to our nominees, testimonies, chairman, the opportunity for questions. All right, and before we get to, um, I know Senator Gardner has another meeting that, and, and he just wanted to make a brief comment because uh, he won't be able to stay for the question. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to do this. Thanks to the to the nominees here today. And I apologize, I have a legislation and other committee that I'm going to have to go to right now. But uh, to our nominees, uh, Mr. Sullivan and uh, Mr. Palmieri, uh, Honduras and Nicaragua maintain relationships uh, with Taiwan. Uh, and as we've seen in uh, recent hours, uh, El Salvador has made the unfortunate decision uh, to take a very significant step backwards with its relationship uh, in regards to the United States. And, as a result of its derecognition de uh, of uh, Taiwan. Uh, and so I hope that uh, upon your confirmation, uh, you'll both make it a, a high priority uh, to emphasize how important uh, Taiwan is to uh, the world, its responsibility, its voice, its leadership, uh, and uh, their relationship with Taiwan matters very much to the relationship they have going forward with the United States. Mr. Chairman, thank you. All right, well, thank you all for being here. Um, you're all veterans of this process, so the less time you talk, the more time we can ask you questions and let you talk. So, but it's up to you. You've got your five minutes for opening statements. We have it in writing. And um, uh, with that, uh, Ms. Williams, I'll begin with you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee, I am honored to appear here today as President Trump's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Suriname. I am grateful to the President and to Secretary Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I pledge to work closely with the Congress to advance our nation's interests in Suriname. I've had the honor to serve our country for nearly 27 years as a Foreign Service Officer. I was raised with strong role, role models of commitment to our nation, to service, and to helping others. My father, a Korean War veteran, retired Army Master Sergeant, and retired police officer, ensured that his sons and daughter valued our nation and its ideals. My British-born mother, an avid U.S. citizen and patriot for more than 30 years, gave her children a commitment to helping others in need. I am blessed they are still with me, and although age and health preclude their appearance here, they are watching from home in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, I am equally also blessed and very happy that a number of wonderful friends are in the room today. I'm fortunate to have a diverse career ranging overseas from Afghanistan to Paraguay and domestically at Maine State and U.S. Special Operations Command. I am privileged to have worked alongside outstanding diplomats, development professionals, military members, and other interagency colleagues. Together in my various postings, we have utilized programs and engagement opportunities to further U.S. national security objectives such as counterterrorism, counter-narcotics, and U.S. regional security, as well as working for a peaceful and prosperous world through democratic institution building and supporting civic education. I am pleased, if confirmed, to return to the Caribbean region in which I gained experience pertinent to Suriname in roles as Deputy Director of Caribbean Affairs and as Deputy Chief of Mission and Chargé d'Affaires ad Interim to Guyana and to Caracom. If confirmed, I will proudly represent the United States in Suriname, an ethnically and religiously diverse nation in which Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and indigenous religions live peacefully and productively together. 
If confirmed, I will work with the Surinamese government to further develop existing mutually beneficial opportunities for economic growth and increased trade, as well as explore new opportunities. U.S. companies are currently conducting oil exploration off the coast of Suriname and hope to find the same success as has occurred in neighboring Guyana. The gold fields of Suriname have also drawn U.S. companies, and in cooperation with these companies and the government of Suriname, the U.S. government is supporting efforts to curb illicit mining and the damaging use of mercury. Citizen security is a key mutual interest of the U.S. and Suriname and is in keeping with the goals of the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative and the Caribbean 2020 strategy. If confirmed, I will continue to support bilateral and regional assistance that provides technical training to law enforcement officers, seeks to combat money laundering and financial crimes, and supports strengthening of the rule of law. Suriname is on the Trafficking in Persons Report Tier 2 watch list for the second year in a row after being upgraded to that level in 2017. While Suriname has been making significant efforts to meet the minimum standards, there are additional steps needed. If confirmed, I pledge to work with the Surinamese government to meet minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking in persons. My highest priority as chief of mission, if confirmed, will be to safeguard the welfare of U.S. citizens and embassy staff, both U.S. and local, to the utmost limits of my ability. In closing, if confirmed, I look forward to building the relations between our two great nations and defending and promoting the interests of the United States and the Republic of Suriname. Thank you, and I welcome your questions. Thank you so much, Mr. Palmieri. Mr. Chairman and distinguished members of the committee, I am honored to be nominated to represent the United States as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Honduras by President Trump. I thank Secretary of State Pompeo for his confidence in me. I could not be here without the love and support of my family, beginning with my wife, Suzanne, and our children, Ellis and Madeline. Uh, as a son of, Colombian, of a Colombian immigrant and a grandson of Italian immigrants, I'm acutely aware of the debt my family and I owe this great nation. And I'd like to introduce my mother, Hanoveva Trujillo Palmieri, who is here as well today. I am proud. <laughs> I am, I am proud to have served the United States as a career member of the Foreign Service for more than 32 years. Our work at the State Department seeks to advance the United States' interests in this region by promoting a democratic, secure, stable, and prosperous hemisphere, goals that members of this committee told me are important. The United States has a long and close strategic partnership with Honduras. Honduras's economic prosperity, democracy, security, and development are inextricably linked to U.S. national security. But there is no denying the significant flow of migrants from Honduras has created complex challenges, a key concern to many senators on this committee. Honduras is addressing those underlying conditions driving migration, including the lack of jobs and economic opportunity, high levels of crime, and an inefficient and sometimes corrupt government institutions. With important assistance from the United States Congress, Honduran government institutions and social services for receiving returned migrants have improved. Honduras is also strengthening its border controls to prevent illicit trafficking and human smuggling. A national dialogue is vital to address the violence that occurred following the November 2017 election, to reform the electoral process, 
and most importantly, to reconcile a deeply divided country. If confirmed, I will also make it a priority to assist the Honduran National Police make reforms. I learned during my service in Iraq how important an effective police force can be to a country. If confirmed, I will continue working with the Honduran Attorney General Oscar, Oscar Chinchilla and the public ministry to expand its capacity to investigate and prosecute crimes, including human rights violations by security forces. I understand Honduras wants to do more to protect human rights defenders, labor activists, community leaders, and journalists, among many others. Corruption continues to be one of Honduras's most significant challenges. The OAS mission to support the fight against corruption and impunity in Honduras has been instrumental in supporting the Attorney General's work to dismantle long-standing corruption networks in Honduras. If confirmed, I will continue to support their work. Honduras is not the same country I lived and worked in 17 years ago, but I know from that time that Honduras is a vital and loyal partner to this nation. Hondurans always stand by our side. On 9-11, I remember exactly where I was in Tegucigalpa when our country was attacked. I also remember how the government and Hondurans of all political beliefs rallied to our side and our defense. The late Honduran musician Guillermo Anderson wrote in his song, En Mi País, Para quererte, el corazón mío no alcanza, pero esta luz multiplica la esperanza. It is an ode to the natural beauty of Honduras, to the indomitable spirit of the Honduran people, and to the possibility of a brighter, better future for his country. With that inspiration, if confirmed, I will work to advance U.S.-Honduran relations and ensure that working together, we create conditions so that every Honduran can have a better alternative than to make the dangerous journey north to our border. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I look forward to responding to your questions and to working closely with you and the members of this committee on your priorities in Honduras. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, members of the committee, I'm honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to Nicaragua. I'm deeply grateful to President Trump and Secretary Pompeo for their support and confidence. Uh, and if confirmed, I look forward to working closely with you uh, and other members of Congress to advance the interests of the U.S. Uh, with your permission, I'd like to begin also by thanking my family, including my wife, Maria Angeles, uh, who is with us, uh, and my daughter, Sophie, who could not be, uh, as well as the rest of my family for their unwavering love and support. And today, I would also like to especially uh, salute the personal sacrifices that our embassy families evacuated from Managua are making in support of our vital mission there. Mr. Chairman, I've spent much of my 30-year career in the State Department working in the Western Hemisphere. I've worked overseas building strong bilateral relationships with Chile and Argentina, in the latter case as Chargé d'Affaires for 18 months. In my most recent position as Deputy Permanent Representative to the U.S. Mission to the Organization of American States, where I also served as Chargé, 
I was proud to work with other member states representatives to pass groundbreaking resolutions in defense of human rights and fundamental freedoms of the Venezuelan and Nicaraguan people. If confirmed, I believe this experience, as well as my familiarity with the region's enduring challenges, would enable me to lead the U.S. mission in Managua effectively. I'm convinced that strong, mutually beneficial relationships with our Western Hemisphere neighbors are essential to our national security as well as to our future prosperity. Greater regional integration is an essential element of the U.S. strategy uh, for Central America. So the current crisis in Nicaragua jeopardizes not only the well-being of Nicaraguans, but also negatively affects the prospects of its Central American neighbors. Mr. Chairman, we have all witnessed the deeply troubling developments in Nicaragua over recent months as peaceful protests over changes to pensions quickly transformed into a much broader public repudiation of the Nicaraguan government. <clears throat> Since protests and uh, repression began in April, <clears throat> the United States has been outspoken in denouncing the government-instigated violence and intimidation campaign, which has cost the lives of over 300 people. Uh, and some estimates, uh, as mentioned, uh, are much higher. As both Vice President Pence and Secretary of Pompeo have said, we join with nations around the world in demanding that the Ortega government respond to the Nicaraguan people's demands for democratic reform and hold accountable those responsible for violence. Governments throughout the Americas and around the world have added their voices to the chorus calling for an end to the killing in Nicaragua. The administration will continue working with its diplomatic partners in the region and international organizations, including the OAS, to seek an end to state-sponsored violence and restore Nicaragua's degraded democratic institutions. If confirmed, I will urge the Nicaraguan government to cease, cease this repression and release those who have been arbitrarily detained. I applaud the courageous work of the Inter-American Human Rights Commission, the UN Human Rights Commission, and Nicaraguan human rights organizations who've been investigating these tragic events. I also strongly support the leading role of the Catholic Church uh, and its brave efforts to mediate a peaceful resolution of this situation. I will ensure that the U.S. government maintains regular contact with and support for a wide range of Nicaraguan civil society groups and human rights advocates. Every Nicaraguan deserves a government that upholds his or her human rights and fundamental freedoms and fully respects the rule of law. Sustainable solutions can only be found through early free and fair elections with international observation through which the Nicaraguan people can freely decide their nation's destiny. Despite a decade of economic growth that has outperformed the region, uh, Nicaragua remains the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. The current social unrest has added major uncertainty to what had been a relatively promising economic trajectory. Truly transformative economic growth to lift Nicaragua out of poverty will require new attitudes and approaches in key institutions. Nicaragua's promising university students, for example, cannot be seen as terrorists, uh, but rather as the young men and women who will lead their country towards a more prosperous future. If confirmed, I will look for new ways for the United States to support the Nicaraguan people on their road to freedom and prosperity. I will also pursue cooperation on issues of U.S. national security, such as counter-narcotics, as appropriate, bearing in mind the evolution of the current crisis. Uh, and I will ensure, as a matter of the highest priority, the protection of U.S. citizens and mission personnel in Nicaragua. Mr. Chairman, committee members, I thank you for your consideration of my nomination and welcome your questions.
Thank you all for being here again. Uh, I'll begin with the ranking member, Senator Card. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, again, thank you all for your willingness to do this. I, I want to start with the fact that you're here today for confirmation, the separation of our branches, but the importance of the confirmation process and our diplomats, particularly with career diplomats, but all diplomats, that you need the support of the Senate and you need the support of the President. And we expect you to be an independent voice to us in the United States Senate on critically important issues. So I want to start with TPS, because I am deeply concerned about the safety of people who are currently residing in Maryland and throughout our country that have a date on their back on leaving this country. We know that the recommendations from the mission and country was to extend the TPS. That is well known. We have bipartisan support to protect those that are in TPS status because we know the circumstances on the ground are such that it's not safe for their return. We know that the country, host country, uh, would, uh, wants to, uh, the, the individuals to be able to stay here for, for various reasons. Uh, so we know the economics, we know the political, we know the safety issues. What we need is a path forward to protect these individuals, and we're going to need the help of our chief of mission, our ambassadors from these countries. My question is, will you commit, um, referring now, of course, to Nicaragua uh, and Honduras, will you commit to give this committee independent information in regards to the circumstances and the safety for those that are under TPS status here in the United States for their return to their countries so that we can develop the policies here, which may be different than what the administration's position is. Uh, Senator, uh, yes, I can commit that I will uh, report uh, to this committee and uh, to the State Department the accurate uh, conditions I uh, encounter on the ground in Honduras if I am confirmed. Thank you, Senator. Uh, I also uh, can commit to uh, remaining in touch with the committee <clears throat> and offering a, a similarly honest assessment of the conditions on the ground uh, in Nicaragua. We ran into this problem under the previous administration on when we dealt with TIP classifications under the TIP report. And uh, w w it's, it's important that we have unfiltered information in order to be able to make our judgments. There's another area that we're going to need your help, and that is information about individuals who should be sanctioned in, the, in all three of these countries in regards to human rights violations under the newly passed uh, Global Magnitsky Law. I, I mention that because in that statute, there is a cooperative effort between the executive and legislative branches. We have a role to play in those sanctions. So we need information, uh, and we rely upon those in, in country to give us that type of information. Do you commit, all three of you, that you will make available to this committee information about human rights violators in your country that uh, should be considered for Magnitsky-type sanctions? Yes, Senator, I will commit to do so if confirmed. Absolutely, Senator, you have my full commitment. Yes, Senator, I will also, thank you. Thank you. I, I want to, uh, you, you all mentioned the, uh, the OAS and its role that it plays uh, in uh, 
particularly in, in Honduras in regards to the uh, anti-corruption commissions. Uh, but it's been disappointing in regards to its inability to deal with Venezuela as aggressively as we would like them to. Part of it's the Caribbean nation problem, which welcomes William's thoughts on that, particularly Caribbean Basin security initiatives. I'm a supporter of regional organization. I'm the ranking Democrat on the Helsinki Commission for the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Senator Shaheen serves on that commission as well. So we, we believe in regional organizations. One of the challenges of OAS, it has very little parliamentary involvement. And therefore, it does not have the same degree of support that the OSCE has within the Congress itself because we're part of the process. We're more involved in the process. So I would like to know how you all believe our regional organizations in that region can be strengthened in order to make them more effective in dealing with a problem such as Venezuela. Senator, as the uh, just outgoing deputy permanent representative at the OAS, <clears throat> uh, to the to you in the U.S. mission to the OAS, I'll be happy to uh, to take the first uh, crack at that. Um, I certainly agree that the situation in Venezuela has been uh, an enormous concern uh, for many reasons, uh, and it has been a very high priority for the OAS uh, and for our mission to the OAS. Um, although the we have uh, there's still much more to do to to uh, promote a peaceful democratic solution in Venezuela. I think certainly in the two years that uh, I served in our mission, we've come a long way uh, from the standpoint of uh, the, initially the OAS was uh, incapable of taking any significant action with respect to Venezuela because of the strong influence of the, of the Venezuelan government in the hemisphere. But over the past two years, we've seen uh, the OAS Permanent Council pass uh, a series of resolutions uh, condemning human rights violations there and also uh, highlighting the uh, inadequate nature of the uh, elections that have been held there. In fact, uh, at our last General Assembly in June, we for the first time uh, passed a resolution at that level um, that uh, called the May 20th elections in Venezuela illegitimate. Uh, which sent a very strong signal to the rest of the hemisphere and the rest of the world about the nature of those elections. Uh, I do agree uh, with your suggestion that stronger parliamentary involvement with the OAS would strengthen uh, the political statements that it can make and uh, would better reflect the range of, of views around the hemisphere. Uh, and I'm, I'd be happy to discuss that further with you, as I'm sure would our, our excellent new ambassador, Carlos Trujillo, uh, to the uh, OAS. And I've talked to him about that. Let me just ask Mr. Palmieri one question. We asked, I, I talked to you in my office. Do you commit to, to monitor the Berta Caceres case to make sure that we get independent evaluations as to the fairness of that trial? Uh, yes, sir, and I believe the embassy uh, has assisted in that investigation and uh, does plan to attend sessions of that training. If confirmed, when I arrive in Honduras, I will also personally uh, pay attention to that, uh, that trial. Thank you. Thank you, Senator, Mend uh, Senator Sheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you and congratulations to each of you for being willing to accept these nominations at this difficult time in the world and given the challenges that you've already referenced in the countries that you will be um, 
going to if confirmed. I want to start, Mr. Sullivan, with Nicaragua because as I read reports, Russian influence in Nicaragua has been increasing. They spent $80 million to buy tanks from, and military equipment from Russia in 2016. They've increased their cooperation with the military leadership in both countries. And it's not just, unfortunately, it's not just Nicaragua, it's also other countries in Latin America. So what will be your approach, if confirmed, to, to address that growing influence from Russia, and how do you think we should be approaching it throughout Latin America? Thank you for your question, Senator. Uh, I and, and my colleagues at the State Department uh, are concerned about increasing Russian involvement uh, both in Nicaragua and in other countries in the hemisphere. Um, we are concerned about what their agenda is. Uh, we know that in the case of Nicaragua, they have uh, been involved in uh, supplying military equipment, as you pointed out, equipment that uh, may not serve much useful purpose for Nicaragua. There are certainly other things that right. uh, they, they need more. Um, and. Uh, we're concerned that uh, the, the Russian government, in that sense, has become the partner of choice on military and security matters. Uh, I, I know uh, that Secretary of Defense Mattis is traveling in the region right now, talking with uh, a number of partners in the region about why the United States would like to be the partner of choice for uh, our uh, allies in the region. Uh, we believe that we have a lot to offer uh, and can be a much better partner for countries like Nicaragua and if confirmed, I would certainly work uh, with uh, colleagues in the embassy to discuss with Nicaraguan leaders uh, and uh, with, with the media about what the U.S. has to offer and, and why that might be a better choice for the Nicaraguan people. Um, yesterday, we had a hearing in this committee on Russia um, and its influence. And one of the things that um, assistant or Assistant Secretary of State Wes Mitchell talked about was the, the strategy that we have to address Russia. Do you know if Latin America is included in that Russia strategy? Do any of the three of you know that? Yeah. Mr. Palmy? Yes, Senator. Uh, it's a, a, an excellent point. Uh, and uh, we work very closely with our colleagues in the European uh, Bureau and on the Russia desk to ensure that uh, any uh, uh, presence of Russia in our hemisphere is addressed consistent with that strategy and that we are calling attention uh, to, uh, to the European Bureau when we see uh, Russian uh, uh, maneuvers in, in our area. And I assume that's mutual, that they are also um, letting you all know when they pick up any information that might affect uh, Latin American countries. Yes. Yes, Senator. Thank you. Um, I have been working for the last couple of months with a family from Honduras who um, came across illegally because they were affected by violence in Honduras. Um, the, sadly, the mother's son was separated and they didn't know where the other was for several months. What kind of message does that send to our Honduran um, allies when they see that happens to families that are coming seeking asylum from violence? 
The Hunter government has um, approached us on multiple different levels here in Washington, uh, in Capitol. Um, the government has made it very, cons uh, very clear their concern that uh, family members be reunited. Uh, the State Department uh, and uh, I, if confirmed as the ambassador in Honduras, will do all I can to help uh, reunite uh, uh, families that have been separated. Uh, and uh, we uh, have at the State Department facilitated uh, uh, meetings between uh, Honduran government officials as well as Guatemalan and uh, Salvadoran officials with the Department of Homeland Security and Health and Human Services to provide information about separated families. Uh, I accompanied uh, uh, Secretary Nielsen to a meeting in Guatemala in the first week of July uh, with uh, foreign ministers and security ministers for the region to uh, discuss how we can improve uh, information exchange, but how we can also better address the underlying conditions so that uh, people don't make that journey to our border, that the violence in their countries uh, is uh, 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 being addressed, that there's greater economic opportunity there so that uh, folks don't put themselves in a position of being separated. Um, I appreciate that, and I thank you for that answer. I think this is something that we've all got to continue to work on. We've got to make sure that people feel like they have a future in their own countries. Um, my last question is really for all three of you. New Hampshire has um, sadly been dramatically affected by the opioid and um, substance use crisis that we have in this country, and many of those... Um, Opioids and drugs are coming from countries south of our border. Um, even in Suriname, the current president has been convicted in the Netherlands of uh, trafficking in uh, drugs. So can each of you talk about what you see as your role as an ambassador in trying to address this pervasive problem that we're facing in the United States? And I'll start with you, Ms. Williams. Thank you. Um, and, and it is true, you are correct, that there was a conviction uh, prior to his presidency of, uh, or of President Batrisa in the Netherlands. Um, the issue uh, in regards specifically to Suriname, uh, that most of the um, narcotics flow is actually going to Europe, but nevertheless, some may be coming here to the US as well. Uh, one of the things that I as ambassador can do is to maintain that issue at the for forefront of the agenda with the Bowdersa government, with that administration, to continue to work with that administration on uh, improving uh, administration of justice, rule of law. We are working with them via uh, regional programs from the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative on uh, evidence-based decision-making and training for law enforcement. So I would continue all of these things and also keep it at the forefront of the diplomatic dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Palmieri. Uh, Senator, if you could indulge a proud son for a moment. My mother, uh, this is an issue that's been important to our family. My mother was instrumental in establishing one of the first Spanish-speaking drug rehabilitation programs in the state of Connecticut in the late 1960s and early 70s. Thank you. Uh, I myself um, volunteered here in uh, Washington, D.C. for a residential drug rehabilitation program on its board uh, in the last decade. Uh, 
if confirmed as an ambassador in Honduras, this problem of narcotics trafficking and ensuring that we are working with the host government to uh, encourage them to do all they can to s stop drugs that are transiting through Honduras north to our borders will be a top priority and something that I, I've personally seen uh, uh, and am committed to addressing. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Sullivan. Senator, uh, in the case of Nicaragua, uh, as you know, we've had a, a challenging relationship with the government for some time, but uh, counter-narcotics is one of the areas in which we have been cooperating, uh, and that's because uh, particularly the uh, Caribbean coast of Nicaragua uh, is an area where uh, narcotics trafficking has uh, taken place, and it's part of broader patterns in the region. Uh, and uh, in order to address that, we have done some, we have uh, shared some <laughs> equipment and training with the Nicaraguan government. Uh, as I mentioned in my opening statement, uh, I would hope if confirmed as ambassador to be able to continue uh, and improve that cooperation, bearing in mind the overall evolution of, of the crisis there. Uh, and I certainly share your concern about the impact of the problem here in the U.S. Well, thank you all very much for your commitment to addressing that challenge. And thank you, Mr. Chairman, for letting me go over my time. Thank you, Senator Menendez. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Sullivan, with more than 450 people left dead and a growing body of evidence that Nicaraguan security forces have engaged in torture, including torturing a United States citizen, uh, there's no space left for ambiguity about the reign of violence Daniel Ortega and Rosario Murillo have unleashed against their own population. So if confirmed, what steps will you personally take to ensure accountability for human rights abuses in Nicaragua? Thank you for that question, uh, Senator. Uh, in, uh, in my current or my previous job in uh, as, uh, the U.S. mission to the OAS, I was happy to have participated in uh, our efforts to promote uh, resolutions uh, in the Permanent Council uh, addressing uh, the situation in Nicaragua, including human rights aspects, democratic reform, uh, and I hope that that has uh, increased international pressure on the regime, which I believe uh, we, we think is one of the key factors in uh, in pushing the Nicaraguan government to, uh, first of all, cease the killing, uh, and second of all, uh, address the underlying uh, concerns about democratic institutions that brought people into the streets uh, in the first place. Um, in addition, I have also supported the uh, efforts of the Inter-American Human Rights Commission to uh, get on the ground in Nicaragua and uh, carry out what I think has been a very successful mission in uh, verifying the reports of massive human rights violations there. Uh, and if confirmed as ambassador, I would certainly uh, continue to work with uh, our colleagues in the U.S. mission to the OAS uh, and uh, provide whatever assistance we can and is uh, required to the various Inter-American Human Rights Commission bodies on the ground. Uh, so is it fair to say that you will, if confirmed, make this a priority of your ambassadorship? Absolutely, Senator. Now, let me ask you, uh, Trudeau's government and the European Union have both targeted sanctions measures similar to Global Magnitsky. Uh, will you work with our allies to ensure uh, they join us in deploying this uh, powerful tool, particularly as it relates to the other embassies you'll find yourself on the ground with? 
Yes, Senator. Okay. What a, uh, have you had an opportunity to look at Senator Rubio and my legislation, the Nicaragua Human Rights and Anti-Corruption Act, by any chance? Uh, yes, I have seen it, Senator. Uh, and would, would, do you find elements of that? I mean, I know you can't speak for the department as a whole. I don't expect you to. But uh, do, you, do you believe that uh, th additional sanctions here uh, could affect the course of uh, the Nicaraguan government's uh, actions moving forward? Uh, Senator, as you know, uh, I'm not in a position to comment on, on the legislation uh, per se, but uh, on behalf of the department, but uh, I can say, first of all, that uh, if confirmed, I would be happy to continue working with the committee uh, and discussing uh, the application of sanctions on Nicaragua. Sanctions play an essential part in demonstrating our seriousness about uh, our concerns uh, on human rights issues. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm pleased that we have been able to, using existing authorities, uh, apply uh, a large number of sanctions, both uh, visa sanctions uh, and uh, global Magnitsky. And uh, I know that additional sanctions are under consideration. Uh, so I, I would be happy to continue working with the committee on that. All right, fair enough. Now, let me ask you this. Um, I get increasingly concerned <clears throat> uh, that, uh, to piggyback off of uh, Senator Shaheen's comments about Russia's engagement here with Nicaragua, uh, according to various reports, uh, including the Washington Post, Russia has established a new counter-narcotics facility in Managua, has opened a new satellite facility, is alleged to be tampering with telecommunications infrastructure, uh, I would expect that that will be one of your focuses of attention if you are confirmed. Yes, it will, Senator. As you know, we're, we share your concern about those developments. Now, to date, the Nicaragua military at an institutional level has refused to participate in Ortega's government's campaign of violence against its own citizens, which is a good thing. However, they have also failed to defend its own population against the repression carried out by Nicaraguan police and a growing number of paramilitary actors. What's your assessment of the role of the Nicaraguan military to date? Uh, and how would you direct our embassy, particularly our defense attache, to engage with Nicaragua's military? Thanks for that question, Senator. It's, it's clear that the Nicaraguan military uh, remains uh, an important player uh, in this situation. Uh, it has been encouraging that they have not participated uh, uh, actively in the repression that's gone on, but certainly uh, it, uh, it was striking that uh, even when uh, armed uh, bands were traveling around the country in pickup trucks uh, committing uh, terrible acts of violence, uh, they, they did not interfere with that. Uh, and normally Nicaragua has had... Uh, a very uh, a better handle on its own domestic security than than some other uh, countries in the in the region. Uh, so clearly, there is a role for them to play, and and uh, it'll be important uh, to remain engaged with them. Uh, we understand that uh, many uh, members of the Nicaraguan uh, military value relationships that they've had for many years with uh, their American colleagues, and I hope that those will. Uh, will pay dividends. Well, last question for you. There's widespread evidence that Ortega, his family, and his political allies have plundered Nicaragua's state coffers and have personally profited from the Albaniza accounts funded by the Venezuelan government. 
Uh, one only needs to look at the extensive properties amassed in Costa Rica and Spain by Roberto Rivas, the president of the Nicaraguan Electoral Tribunal and an individual sanctioned under the Global Magnitsky Act. If confirmed, will you work to address officials in the Ortega government profiting off, profiting off funds stolen from Nicaraguan citizens? Yes, Senator. Okay. And finally, Mr. Palmieri, I don't want you to feel neglected by me. Uh, or Ms. Williams, but particularly Mr. Palmieri, for which we have a history. First, this is going to be your first ambassadorial appointment, right? Yes, it is, sir. Well, I'm glad the State Department is finally diversifying. Um, the U.S. government, uh, I, I'm seriously concerned um, about uh, Honduras uh, in two ways. Number one, well, I'm concerned in many ways, but let me just focus on two. Uh, strengthening democratic institutions. Uh, I appreciate some of what uh, Honduras's president has done. By the same token, I'm worried about other elements of it. And secondly, the end of TPS uh, for Hondurans is going to be a huge challenge uh, if, in fact, that ends up being the last chapter uh, of that issue. So we're going to have a lot of people who are going to get repatriated to Honduras who have U.S. families, U.S. citizen families. So I want to hear how you'll approach, if confirmed, those two issues, strengthening institutions, uh, especially in a country that has a long history here, uh, notwithstanding that we like its president doing certain things, cooperating with us, but by the same token, uh, uh, not being as forceful as I would like to see on strengthening institutions. And secondly, how you'll deal with the if that's the last chapter, the repatriation of Hondurans, including U.S. families, to be able to uh, help in that regard and, and work with them. Give me a sense of that. Thank you for those questions, Senator. Um, on the first question, uh, the U.S. Congress and American taxpayers have been very generous with foreign assistance in Honduras. We need to make sure those funds are being uh, used effectively, that we're getting the results and the impact on those institutions. We have seen some improvements. Um, uh, the homicide rate has dropped 50% uh, in Honduras since 2011, but the police force needs further reforms to become a more effective, responsive, community-oriented policing force, as an example. With respect to uh, the American citizen uh, family members that may return with uh, TPS beneficiaries who, uh, who return to Honduras. Uh, as the uh, U.S. ambassador, if confirmed, it will be among my most important priorities, the top priority, to assist American citizens, to ensure, ensure that each and every one of them has the American citizen documentation that they will need uh, uh, on return to the country, but for the future. And then second, uh, to advocate on their behalf to Honduran government institutions, to ensure that they have educational opportunities, access to health care uh, where appropriate. And uh, I believe our embassy uh, will need to be prepared to assist those Americans as best we can. Well, I Thank appreciate you. that. I just hope we can end that chapter in a different way than it is right now. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Markey, are you ready? Ready to go. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, yeah, I went down to Honduras 1983, 1985, and, uh, uh, and it's, it's clear that there is now a deep-seated problem 
um, down there, and that the U.S. historically has played a role uh, in this um, condition that has been uh, created. So, uh, Mr. Palmieri, uh, do you think the United States should continue to train, equip, and fund Honduran security forces that kill peaceful protesters and bystanders with impunity? What should the role of the United States be? Thank you for that question, Senator. Um, it's a very important issue, uh, the issue of human rights abuses uh, in Venezuela, in Honduras, and in Venezuela, obviously. Uh, but um, our assistance, uh, first and foremost, is carefully vetted so that it never goes uh, to those uh, individuals or units that have been involved in any gross violations of human rights. Second, I do believe um, U.S. assistance can help professionalize and improve the capability of, uh, of the Honduran uh, police forces to be a more responsive community-based uh, 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 police force that is reducing the level of uh, violence and threat that uh, Honduran citizens feel. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's, it's one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to uh, violent crime. It's rampant, uh, and it affects the most vulnerable groups uh, who need their rights to be protected, and yet we continue to uh, send our funding down there into the country. So in, in your opinion, what steps should the in United States take, take in order to ensure uh, that uh, there is a prompt removal of Honduran military from domestic policymaking. Otherwise, there's just going to be a repetition over and over again of the very same situation. Because right now, it looks a lot like it did back in the 80s. Uh, and unless we do something different, then we just shouldn't expect anything to change. So what's your recommendation? Thank you for the, the, the important observation. Uh, the um, U.S. assistance currently uh, does not go to any Honduran military unit engaged in civilian policing. I think we will uh, maintain that, uh, uh, that posture. In addition, I think we need to work with uh, the Honduran government so that it can execute and implement, implement its own plan to continue its reform of the Honduran National Police so that it can assume the policing function and then have clear established benchmarks uh, and off-ramps so that uh, Honduran, Honduran military units that are involved in civilian policing can be withdrawn from that activity. No, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't, we're not doing enough, by far. I, I was down on the Mexican-Texas uh, border talking to women especially fleeing from Honduras. Uh, and uh, in each instance, there's a conversation about the military or the police uh, and why they felt they had to escape from that country. Uh, and yet at our borders, uh, we have an administration which is saying, well, we don't want them. They're the worst. They're the most terrible people who are coming here. That's not what I saw. Uh, I saw people who were fleeing terrible who were fleeing uh, conditions that were absolutely inhumane, uh, not just poverty, um, but injustice, crime, the threats of violence to them and their children. Uh, 
uh, and in some instances even talking about how they were fleeing the military who wanted to compromise the woman's uh, children's own well-being. So uh, this is, you know, this is a, a, an integrated conversation that gets simplified by uh, President Trump in terms of who they are coming to our border, uh, not wanting to even give them asylum hearings, uh, but much of it is funded by U.S. dollars going down into this country, still without the proper strings attached to ensure uh, that our values uh, are brought to uh, the military in uh, this country. And unfortunately, um, from my perspective, um, uh, we're, we're going to see more and more coming to our border, uh, but we're implicated. We're part of it. Our funding streams uh, are helping those who to a very large extent are the ones creating this problem. And, uh, and if I can, just move quickly to this recognition of Taiwan um, in uh, Honduras and uh, Nicaragua. Country after country is switching sides uh, and, uh, and undermining US policy and our recognition uh, of uh, Taiwan. So I'd like uh, you briefly, if you could, uh, to speak about it, and you too, Mr. Sullivan. We are reviewing our relationship uh, with El Salvador following this decision. Um, although we recognize the right of a country to determine its diplomatic relations, we're deeply disappointed by the decision. China's efforts uh, uh, to unilaterally alter the status quo are harmful and do not contribute uh, to cross-strait stability. Rather, they undermine the framework uh, that enables peace, stability, and development for decades in that part of the world. Taiwan is a democratic success story, a reliable partner, and the United States will continue to support Taiwan. Yeah, so can, can you talk a little bit, Mrs. Sullivan, about this coercion that is taking place in country after country uh, and what you feel that the U.S. position on it should be? What, what, what can we do? Yes, Senator, thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, I... I fully share the, uh, the thoughts that uh, my uh, colleague uh, Paco Palmieri just shared in terms of the overall Chinese push and the importance of not making uh, changes in relationships with Taiwan at this time, given the tensions that, that do exist uh, in that part of the world. Uh, if confirmed in the case of Nicaragua, I would certainly uh, make that case to the Nicaraguan government and urge them uh, to retain their existing relationship with Taiwan. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, it's going to be very important. Um, Salvador is gone now, and, you know, you can feel this domino effect in, um, uh, in this region uh, taking hold. So, again, we have a lot of leverage, and uh, we have to exercise it, especially this military aid, which we provide uh, uh, in... Uh, in Honduras uh, so that we could create some kind of wall against this further incursion by the Chinese. I think it's absolutely critical. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for having the hearing. Thank you. And thank you for focusing on that issue. And Senator Gardner was here earlier as well, and he um, referenced that in, in his comments before he had to leave. Um, it's an unusual hearing because while you're nominated for new posts, both Mr. Palmieri and Mr. Sullivan are either currently or just recently in posts of great regional importance. And I think will give us insight into your service as well in these, in these new posts. So I wanted to just begin on the El Salvador question. Mr. Palmieri, it's your understanding that the U.S. government worked hard uh, and made very clear to El Salvador that we did not want 
them to switch recognition from Taiwan, but they did so anyway. I've confirmed that independently, but that would be your understanding as well. Yes, Senator. They knew how we felt about it, and they did it anyway. Absolutely, Senator. And uh, the second thing I want to clear up, because uh, Senator Markey asked these questions, I mean, you've been the Assistant Secretary for Western Hemisphere, the Alliance for Prosperity, assistance to Honduras is a big part of that portfolio. Uh, and, and he was describing a situation in which government forces, both police and army, are currently involved in widespread uh, abuses against the population of Honduras. In your time there, have we, I'm not saying have there been any abuses. I mean, there's no country in the world in which police forces have not stepped outside the line and hopefully they have a criminal justice system to address it. But in the time since the Alliance for Prosperity has been functioning, have you seen widespread evidence of police and or uh, government forces conducting widespread abuses of the population? There were reports of security forces that were involved in human rights violations in the wake of the November 2017 uh, elections. Uh, that is an area where uh, a national dialogue has been proposed in Honduras to uh, address uh, those specific incidents. Uh, and so that is an area that, if confirmed, uh, uh, an air of human rights uh, uh, concerns that I would be engaged in. Yes, sir. Is, he described also speaking to some in the migratory pattern um, and, and them citing examples of these abuses as reasons why they were coming. Do we, have you seen evidence that the migratory crisis has in some way, some of the migrants are coming to get away from government abuses? Because what we've heard mostly is that it has to do with the criminal gangs that act with impunity in areas in which there is no police and or government presence or not a sufficient amount and our program is designed to build their capacity to address it. But have you seen widespread evidence that some of the migratory pressures being created on the U.S. are being driven by government abuses? Uh, Senator, I think uh, you are correct in pointing out that it is not widespread government abuses that is driving the migratory uh, process, but uh, the uh, endemic violence caused by these gangs. Yes, sir. Now, both you, Mr. Palmieri, and you, Mr. Sullivan, as I said, have a broad view of the region, and I'll tie this into both of your uh, potential posts here in a second, but we never talk enough about the Western Hemisphere with regards to the national security and national interest and stability of the United, uh, national security interest of the United States in the region, and in particular, the role that stability plays in that. Uh, is it, for example, both, I would ask both of you, is it your opinion that the migratory situation that's been created by Venezuela, the pressures it's now putting on Brazil, which has had to deploy troops to the border to quell what sounds like uh, 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 individuals going into a camp or a village and, and, and attacking people in response for something else that had happened allegedly by one of the Venezuelan migrants in Ecuador that now faces a significant government shortfall, a government, by the way, that has been much friendlier to the United States than the previous government in Ecuador and more cooperative, which is a positive result, but they now face a massive budget shortfall, uh, partially driven by the fact that close to 600,000 Venezuelan migrants have been driven there. Uh, the situation in Colombia, which continues to absorb uh, a large number of migrants. As Senator Cardin pointed out to me up here at the dais before we began our hearing, that the numbers in Venezuela and migratory pressures now are approximating and perhaps even surpassing what we saw in Syria. Has the catastrophe of Maduro and his regime and the migratory situation it's created on its neighbors, it, it's your opinion, it is a undermining regional security and, and, uh, and those of our allies and partners in the region? Yes, Senator. 
uh, the, the migratory flows out of Venezuela due to the man-made disaster caused by President Maduro's uh, uh, rule is a, a growing problem throughout the hemisphere. It is creating uh, enormous pressures uh, in Colombia. We, as you just noted, we've seen the reaction now in northern Brazil to a relatively small number when you compare it to Colombia's almost one more than one and a half million uh, uh, migrants. It, it is the, uh, I think, number one uh, problem that we need to be engaged with in this hemisphere in the months ahead. And the reason why I ask is because the situation in Venezuela is no longer simply about the loss of democracy and human rights violation. It is a significant destabilizing influence on the region, undermining our regional allies, particularly in Colombia. Uh, regional stability is in the national security interest of the United States, is it not? Yes, sir, it, it completely is. And so as this further destabilizes the region, it further threatens the national security of the United States. Yes, sir. And you would agree with that assessment, Mr. Sullivan? Yes, absolutely, Senator. And let me ask you, the, similarly in Nicaragua, which uh, certainly not been a democracy in, in any sense for a long period of time, the one thing it was, it was not a transit point uh, for drugs the way we've seen in some of the other countries uh, in Central America. Um, would any further chaos in Nicaragua that undermines that and opens up now in, in Nicaragua a, a new route by which drugs could enter the United States, uh, that would pose a national security risk to the United States, would it not? Yes, Senator. And if, in fact, the situation in Nicaragua begins to appear more and more like Venezuela, creating a Nicaraguan migratory pressure on Costa Rica, which is also facing its own set of challenges with drug transit and other neighbors, uh, migratory pressures on Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and Costa Rica would be deeply destabilizing to these countries, would they not? Yes, Senator, I agree. Creating the potential uh, that that, too, would be at a risk and a threat to the national security of the United States. What, what about um, if, for example, let's say a Russian long-range bomber were to make a visit to Venezuela at some point in the near future, what, what would that tell us about Russian engagement and influence in the region and Venezuela's willingness uh, to be a host for their engagement? Uh, it would be a very disturbing signal to have uh, a Russian bomber visit uh, a country that is uh, so uh, unstable right now as uh, is Venezuela, sir. Um, what about this? What if the Russian Federation were to make a two, three hundred million dollar loan uh, to help uh, bail out uh, the Nicaraguan government for the situations that they're facing now? Uh, Mr. Sullivan, that would not be something they would do out of the kindness of their heart. They would want something in return, right? I agree, Senator. The Russians have their agenda. And their agenda would potentially be not just greater influence in Nicaragua, but the potential for, at a minimum, some rotational military presence in the country of Nicaragua? Yes, Senator. Um, and if that were the case, if, if somehow the Russian Federation under Vladimir Putin were to establish whether a permanent or a rotational military presence in the Western Hemisphere, be it Nicaragua or Venezuela, that would certainly create a national security threat to the United States, would it not? Uh, yes, sir. There's no benign influence that Russia could play in our hemisphere. As far as Nicaragua, that would... A, a Russian military base of any capacity in Nicaragua would be a national security threat to the United States. 
Yes, Senator, I know we're already paying very close attention to the uh, Russian activity that's already taking place there, and that would be uh, a further concern. And on this issue of China, we talked about the recognition of, uh, of China and away from Taiwan by El Salvador. That follows on the heels of the Dominican Republic a few months ago and Panama before that. And there are a series of other countries now. One of the ones that's rumored is Honduras, that Honduras could be next. Um, if you if confirmed, Mr. Palmieri, would you commit to this committee that one of your first, first acts would be to clearly uh, communicate uh, to the Honduran government that the recognition of Taiwan and, and recognition of China uh, would harm the relationship with the United States? Yes, Senator, I commit to uh, making that a top priority if confirmed upon my immediate arrival and to report back to you uh, what I hear. Um, uh, Mr. Sullivan, on Nicaragua, one of the things that we've seen Maduro do for some period of time was, and you saw this firsthand from your perch at the OAS, uh, was he used negotiations as a ploy to buy time. In essence, he could, what he hoped to do, first with the Vatican-sponsored one and then later with the one in the Dominican Republic, was to create this perception that there's talks going on, let's let the talks work through. But in reality, they turned out to be nothing but delay tactics to buy him time to further stabilize his grip. Uh, is that also not a risk in Nicaragua already? Yes, Senator, it is. Uh, and I think we've already seen in the uh, national dialogue that's occurred already uh, uh, a lack of the kind of good faith that would be needed to, uh, to get to a, uh, a good result. And so the, if, if I'm not, I, I would hope that there could be some dialogue that leads to a positive outcome. I think, of course, that's been made very difficult by the fact that Ortega and Murillo now have their hands covered in blood, but we would still love to see a resolution to that situation that's peaceful and democratic, but we need to be very cautious about it because the reality of it is that regimes such as these habitually and routinely use negotiations, which civilized people are in favor of, as a way to buy time to further their grip on power. That, that's something that you'll commit to being wary and cognizant of in your role there. Yes, very much, Senator. On the, uh, Mr. Palmier, on the issue of migration, um, you would, I think we, we are all troubled by images at the border and some of the things that it's brought about and the problems that we've seen. Uh, I, I made the comment earlier, and I, and I think almost everyone would share it, that the most effective thing we can do is to take away the reasons why people are leaving these countries in the first place. I've made the argument, and there's, as an example, I read an account recently of a, of a, of a young woman that came to the United States because I believe her sons had been abducted, her husband had been killed because they refused to pay protection money to a criminal gang. Uh, someone facing those sorts of threats are, are going to flee. Um, and then no matter what, not, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have immigration laws, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have border security, but the reality of it is when someone is leaving that, when your children have been abducted and potentially killed, when your husband's been killed, under threat by a criminal gang that if you don't pay in protection money, they're going to do these things to you and then do it, almost nothing will stop someone from fleeing that. And therefore, one of the most effective things that we can do to limit migratory pressure is to eliminate the causes of that migratory pressure. In the case of Honduras, the number one driver of migratory pressure from Honduras to the United States coming unlawfully is criminality on the part of these gangs and, and drug trafficking organizations and mafias. 
And the best thing we can do is to help the Honduran government create the capacity to confront and defeat them, both through law enforcement and through judicial systems. Is that your assessment? I, I share that assessment completely, Senator, yes. And so when we engage in these endeavors to provide aid and assistance, it's not charity. It is in the national security and national interest of the United States to help nations build capacity to prevent these things from happening. Yes, sir. As far as you know, by the way, there is no migratory pressure from Costa Rica, right? Not that I'm aware or of. Or Panama. Or Panama. Or Paraguay, or Chile, or Argentina, or Colombia, or other countries that don't face this challenge at this point. I'm not ignoring Suriname. I have my questions here. And, and they'll be my final ones. Um, well, let me start with this, and I think this was raised earlier, it's concerning the president's son was, the president of Suriname's son uh, was sentenced in New York to just over 16 years in prison on drug trafficking and weapons charges, and most troubling for agreeing to allow Hezbollah to establish a base in Suriname in exchange for two million. The money was not paid since it was part of an undercover sting operation with US agents. Uh, it wasn't actually Hezbollah operatives, but nonetheless, the willingness to do so it was, 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 uh, was frightening. In July of 2017, two brothers and Dutch, Dutch nationals were arrested for suspicion of involvement in terrorist activities in Paramaribo. Uh, the brothers allegedly have been recruited, recruiting in Suriname for ISIS. Is, let me just begin. Is it your view, Ms. Williams, that, that uh, Hezbollah has a presence in Suriname? Uh, thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, from uh, what I have learned, uh, the answer to that question is no, that there is not a presence. Um, uh, in spite of those activities uh, by the, the president's son, uh, there does not at this time appear to be a major issue uh, in that arena in the country. Uh, however, it is, as we must be, it is an issue on which, as we must be everywhere in the world, vigilant at all times and to be looking for uh, what may transpire for the future and to uh, ensure that uh, as there are people who leave the war zones uh, uh, from uh, uh, ISIS fighters, et cetera, that they are not uh, coming into the nations in which we are serving. If I can ask, are you aware of the status? Uh, I, I don't know offhand the status of that case of the two brothers, the Dutch nationals. I know they were arrested. I know it's in the legal processes in Suriname, but uh, further than that, I, I do not know. Um, on our relationship with them, as we said, they've largely, we don't speak a lot about it. They don't have huge problems. They don't have some of these situations that we're seeing in these other parts of, uh, of the world. So um, first of all, congratulations on picking a pretty good spot. And, uh, but, uh, but that said, we, we do have some bilateral issues. Uh, they've been very reluctant. Suriname has to support strong action against Venezuela at the OAS. In June of this year, uh, they were one of the seven CARICOM nations that abstained uh, on a resolution that was meant to be an initial step that could potentially lead to Venezuela's suspension. I imagine abstention is better than supporting Venezuela, some, some still do. Uh, why, do you, why is it that Suriname continues to at least uh, not fully support what has become sort of a regional consensus in, in condemning uh, the Maduro regime? Uh, thank you for the question, sir. Um, it is an historical affinity. It's been an ideological affinity going back many years. Uh, 
it, it, even though it may not seem to be, an abstep, the abstention is a move forward uh, versus the uh, outright no votes that have occurred in the past. Uh, uh, President Bowdersey is very close with the Venezuelan government uh, and much of the administration in Suriname has been very close for many years with the non-aligned movement. So it is something that goes back uh, uh, quite a long time. When you say close to, does that mean they received uh, funds from Petro-Carib and initiatives such as that? They have in the past, uh, but they have not in, I think, the last three, four years have not received anything through Petro-Carib. My, my final question is that we have a limited partnerships with the government of Suriname, uh, including one on HIV-AIDS reduction through PEPFAR, which is a, a program that uh, continues to receive um, strong bipartisan support, and I should dare say deserves even more support. Um, they've also uh, an initiative through the Caribbean Base of Security Initiative, but there's still a lot of room to expand that relationship. Uh, have you thought of or identified areas uh, that we could potentially expand cooperation with Suriname, and if you have, what are the obstacles to doing so? Well, uh, Senator, thank you. Uh, of course, one of the obstacles always is not just what capacity we have to bring to bear against an issue, but also the capacity of the host nation. And it is a very small nation, uh, roughly 600,000 people. One of the areas um, that I would like to work very closely with them on, if confirmed, is in the arena of trafficking in persons. Uh, there are some things that they could do um, that are not necessarily cost intensive, uh, such as putting together a national action plan that would, um, if not move them off of the tier two watch list, uh, at least ensure that they have more uh, possibility of a waiver. Um, there are also, I think, um, other cooperative things that we can do, just taking advantage of the regional programs that exist uh, in terms of the um, evidence-based decision-making and the uh, legal regimes and the uh, administration of justice. Uh, also, with elections coming up in 2020 um, for the government of Suriname, there are opportunities there, I think, for us to be a strong voice for uh, democratic processes, uh, for peaceful and fair, free and fair elections. And that is something that I would like to, if confirmed, uh, uh, 